I am so sure that a lot of you have spent your adult life sometimes peeling your religion off of your Jesus. Have you had to do that some? Maybe things you grew up with and nothing new, like this is the way things have to be, and this is the way they ought to be. I had a, a bookmark in my Bible that contained lists of verses that I needed to know. And then there's a period at the end of that title that said verses you need to know. But the period implied to argue with the Baptists. <laughs> It was just an implication. Like, this is, this is what was needed to have the base. And I was good at it. Even in my fifth, sixth grade, I, I had that thing memorized. I knew, I knew everything. I probably couldn't argue with their parents, but I was good at arguing with fifth and sixth graders about why they were wrong about the Bible, why they were wrong about church, and why I was right. That fell apart as far as a reputation goes in seventh grade. They said, Benjamin, you need to come join the quiz bowl. You know what quiz bowl is for kids who are very smart but haven't experienced genuine panic? <laughs> it, it is so they said, we, we, you, you love your Bible. There are going to be Bible questions, religion questions on there. You need, we need you because of that. And I said, oh, well, thank you very much. Indeed, I will accept your offer. How much does it pay? Nothing. Okay, I'll still accept it. I mean, you guys need me, right? We get into practice. And the first religion question was this. I remember it because it's just scarred into my shame. <laughs> what book of the Bible comes after Lamentations? It gets worse. I buzzed in. Bam! This is my time to shine. I said, I kid you not. Trick question. There's not a book called Lamentations in the Bible. <laughs> now, for those of you who are not caught up, there is. There is. It is most certainly a book in the Bible. But it just wasn't in the types of Bibles we read at the Churches of Christ. It's like, well, there's Acts and then parts of Corinthians. I mean, that's pretty much... So I... I made a fool of myself. That kept me on because, uh, uh, because of math. I was good at math and I did the math questions, but they did not trust me. They were like, just don't buzz in with general facts because the questions in Quiz Bowl were never, why are the Baptists wrong? I, I mean, I would have been Ken Jennings on that one. I would have, is that that guy from the Jeopardy? Yeah. I, I would have buzzed in quickly, but... What I had to learn as I grew up, what I had to understand as, I, as, as just my life unfolded, was that when you add things to Jesus, 
you make Jesus less. Jesus plus my opinions. Jesus plus my preference. Jesus plus the culture in which I exist. Jesus plus my doctrine. Jesus isn't allowed in those moments to be as, as free and as loving as, as, as Jesus wants to. As we are representatives of Jesus to this world. Jesus plus anything is too much. And not enough. All in the same breath. Who did Jesus rant at? Jesus only has a couple of rants. He only has a couple of times where he calls people snakes and serpents and hypocrites. And who was it? It was the religious, wasn't it? Not just the religious, the religious leaders. Those who, who stood on street corners and proclaimed, this is the way things are, things are. This is the way things should be. Follow me and you will find way, a, a connection with God. You will find peace with God. And they had their small, they had their rules that they followed. Like, you can't do this, can't do that. And, and, and they enforced that on other people too. And he calls them, as Blaine read, he calls them out. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. I'll be reading a different woe here. You hypocrites. Hypocrites, we, we use that word um, some, and it needs to be explained. Hypocrites is not people who go to church and sin. That's not that. That's sometimes the way the world kind of uses that word functionally is like that church, they're sinners, therefore they are hypocrites. Hypocrites are people who pretend. It clears it up. It's just a, it's a word they used to use for actors who wore masks. And sometimes... Churches can be hypocritical because what, ha what makes us hypocritical is that we pretend we don't have sin. It's not the sin itself that makes us hypocrites. It's that we pretend we don't have any. And now we would never, we would never say, I've never, I don't have any sin in my life. I don't have any brokenness. I'm not falling short in any way. We would never say such a thing. That would be absurd. We know it would be absurd. It would sound absurd. But we treat other sinners like we've never been there. Like we've never been where they've been. And that's when we look like hypocrites. Hypocrites isn't you go to church and you're broken. That's called people. Hypocrites is when we project a, a veneer of innocence and at the same time, arrows of judgment. That's when we're hypocrites. And Jesus is calling these people hypocrites. He says, as the, in the verse Blaine read, it's, it calls them whitewashed tombs. 
You're clean on the outside and then the inside you're full of dead man's bones. He says, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of spices, mint and dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Tenth of spices. All right, so they don't have large containers of Creole in their house. They, they, they had these small bits of, of seasoning and spices. They, they were a luxury. It was something they, they would get and they would celebrate. And he, this, is a, this is a humorous act, um, accusation from Jesus. Because can you imagine these guys laying their spices out and measuring a tenth and giving that to the Lord? These small spices too, mint, dill, cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice. You've neglected uh, mercy. You've neglected trustworthiness or faithfulness. You should have been practicing the latter. Sure, go ahead, tithe your mint without neglecting the former. You can do both. You don't have to abandon one for the other. You can have your doctrine. You can have your beliefs. You can have the way in which you see Scripture. You can have the things that you've found from Scripture to be important. But then he says, you blind guides. You strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Comedic-wise, this is one of Jesus' best lines. No, it's, it's in, the, in the first century, they found two things funny. In first century Jerusalem, they found two things funny. I know this. I did a paper on it in college. So I'm pretty smart and stuff. You blind guides. You strain out. The, they liked hyperbole, and they liked puns. Just a bunch of dads in the first century they loved dad jokes. And here, the Hebrew for gnat and the Hebrew for camel are very close. They sounded almost exactly alike. And so he works a pun into a hyperbole. Brilliant. And that's the best way to insult a bunch of religious leaders who are thinking about killing you. With just a little bit of humor. He says, you guys that have been doing, sure, the right thing, but it's not the most important thing. You've missed it because you've made something that wasn't important, super important. I heard people my whole life talk about, well, I don't have a favorite scripture because, um, well, all of them are good. And that's just not true. Numbers 1, verse 15. 15,000 to the tribe of Benjamin. Is that better than John three sixteen? It's just something we say that doesn't even make sense. And we have our way of viewing the Bible. That's great. Yes, we have to, we, we, it is important for us to study our Bible. But how many of you have learned something throughout your life? Yeah. One, two, two of a three. Yes, great. Most of us have learned something at one point or another. 
But whenever we really look at Jesus, Jesus doesn't, Jesus keeps calling us to something different, calling us to be somebody better for this world, calling us to live out a life that better represents the kingdom. He's marked, he's uh, in, in, institutional, I don't know, he's putting in, blew that. Calling us to be the kingdom that, that, he, that he puts in place. And when we are too busy fiddling with our bookmark of verses that prove the Baptist wrong because our doctrine is better than their doctrine, we will miss Jesus every time. What happens to make you dead inside is because you spent too much time whitewashing the the outside. You are a whitewashed tomb and full of dead bones. We are whitewashed tombs and full of dead bones because we cared so much about the outside and didn't tend to what was going on in us. Yes, our doctrine can visibly make us look pretty nice. It can decorate a fine mask. But it's the spirit of Jesus, the call of Jesus that that bring that that calls us out of the tomb that makes us alive enough to walk out. I disagree with some of you about parts of the Bible. Now, I don't know which ones of you I disagree with, but you know probably We sit at the table of the king, united by his throne, redeemed by his cross, given hope by his empty tomb, by his resurrection, as disagreeing brothers and sisters in Christ. I read my Bible, my translation of my Bible, and I understand it a certain way. And that's changed throughout my life. But Jesus, when I focus on Jesus and do not add anything to Jesus, when I focus on Jesus, what I find is not me being right, but me being moved. And it's our correctness that's getting in the way of our effectiveness. It's us getting it right that's getting in the way of of us getting the prayer, answering the prayer of Jesus, which is to bring the kingdom of heaven into this world. See, our doctrine is basically we've decided that this is how we understand Scripture, and this is how we uh, have um, come. So, this we we think we should do these things because the Bible says those things, and that's good. Keep doing those things. But sometimes, sometimes our our mint and our deal define us more than our Savior ever will. Sometimes our tithing of those small things gets in the way of us proclaiming the big things. Again, we're not saying you're wrong. 
You could be. We once had a ladies' event at a previous church I was at. I was ministering, and so I, I show up to everything. Like, at, at the church, especially when you're the only minister on staff, you just, you go and you, you do everything. And so they, they needed, if, if, if the computer breaks, it's me. Um, and so I, they needed a slideshow put together with music playing, and she wanted, they, they were talking about joy at this big ladies' night. And so I had to go set up the computer to kind of loop the songs. These, they wanted these happy songs. And there was, a hap, there was a song called Don't Worry, Be Happy. Um, there was a song called Happy by this guy named Pharrell. Um, and she had just, I think, Googled the word happy and found some songs. Uh, I was like, wow, you could be a worship minister. Anyway, no, <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. That was just a, sorry. It came to me and I couldn't keep it in. No, it's good. She found, she Googled songs, found happy, and she made a list. And she said, as in, the woman that was in charge of this lady's night said, I want this list played while people are walking in. And I, she, we're, we're getting it going and a, and a, and a, a we're just gonna, we're gonna be honest. A well lady came up to me. Maybe you don't know that term. How about this? Well, like that. A lady who sees things and then goes, well. And she, she came up and she said, do we have any acapella CDs? I said, are you bothered by the instrumental music on the speakers? And she said, well, I just think it's more beautiful when acapella songs are on the speakers. I said, this was your daughter's choice. And don't worry, be happy is indeed acapella. So just wait for that one to go around. But she was convinced, and I get it. She was convinced deep in her soul that unless there's not a guitar, it's not fully Jesus. She was living with that burden. Not only does the doctrine sometimes distract us from Jesus, but the doctrine also sometimes just keeps us from feeling the freedom that we've been offered in Jesus. Just tight and tense about, like, I just, is this okay? Are we doing this right? Are we doing it wrong? What's, what's the next step? Like, and Jesus in his grace and mercy leads us forward while our doctrine and its judgment and fear leaves us be. And Jesus is gonna take you to wonderful places. Jesus is going to lead you to people that you've never thought you would meet, never thought you would sit with, people to be in communion with people you never thought you would be in a community with. Jesus is going to take you there. And those who are seeking him will find him. Those who are defending the doctrine will find enemies to fight 
What, Je- what we find in Jesus, just, just Jesus alone, is more challenging than any other doctrinal debate we can have. You're never going to be done with it. There was a very, 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 very conservative church in the place where we worshiped last uh, in in Arkansas. So much so that when I announced in Teague that I was moving to Arkansas to minister, uh, our most conservative member came up to me and said, are you going to this church? And then she named the church there in that town. I said, oh, uh, I'm not. No, I'm not. Not wanting to disparage. And she said, okay, good, because those people are crazy. (laughs) It made me realize what I was in for because they called our church. They like preached against us, you know, Uh, like Jesus would want. They called us the Benjamites, which I didn't mind. A violent group of ruffians, those guys were. But one of the things they always said was, that church takes it easy on people, they just preach love. Which if you think love is easy, it makes me pretty certain you've never tried. Because the hardest thing we're called to is love like Jesus has loved us. The most difficult thing that is, that is called, uh, that is asked of Christians is to love the world like God so loved the world. I mean, my goodness, love your neighbor. Some of you have met your neighbor. And that's what's, well, that's what's really tough. That's the hardest part, isn't it? Is, it's not that God, Jesus said love everybody because we could walk around saying, oh, I love, I love everybody. But it's when you really meet everybody, that's the problem. And it's not about loving everybody in the world. It's the person in front of you that you have to love. When you're walking around the world saying, who is my neighbor? And there stands your neighbor. And they are writing a check in the express lane at a grocery store. When they are doing the thing that you wish they wouldn't do. When they are living a life you wish they wouldn't live. When they believe things you wish they wouldn't believe. When they go to the Baptist church. Obviously just jokes, but it's still really hard to love people you disagree with, isn't it? It's still really hard to love people that, that, that live like, and you just don't understand it. But we're called to that, and that is the most difficult doctrine of all, is the doctrine of love. And it's the one that Jesus most consistently attaches to himself. We can add a lot of other doctrines. We can talk about worship order. We can talk about uh, whether or not a pitch pipe is is a musical instrument. We can argue about all those sorts of things all day long. 
will a harmonica do in a pinch? The answer is no, <laughs> if you've ever tried. We can argue about all of that, all of that. But in the end, when I'm standing on the road watching this in, in first century Palestine and I'm watching this Jesus walk by and the, watching the way he's treating those who are sick and are suffering, watching the way he is treating those who are hurting, watching Jesus treat how he, how he interacts with the least. It would be insane for me to then go, you know, instruments in worship are really important to him. Some of you are tightening up. We're not heading in that direction. We don't have room. Pianos are expensive. That's not why. We love our acapella tradition. But like when we focus on that nonsense, the stuff that we think makes us right and other people wrong, we will miss Jesus every time. When we add that to Jesus, Jesus isn't worthwhile to the world. What we find in Jesus is a, is a God who loves us unconditionally, deeply. Loves us so much that others might say it's a mistake. But it's that Jesus the world needs. The world does not need our doctrine. The world does not need us to convince them we're right. We need, the world needs us to show them that Jesus truly loves them. And because Jesus truly loves them, so shall we. Today is the day to give your life to Jesus. Not just a life to doctrine, but a life that says this week, you know, this, this week I am devoting myself to the person, the leader, the king, this Jesus who is tr truly the one who can change me. I will not be changed by my right beliefs, but I will be changed by the king who rules. Let's pray. Our God and Father, You have sent your son. You've sent your son to us. And sometimes we get excited about the way we do things and we start saying, oh yeah, that's important. That's Jesus too. God, your son is all we need. Guide us as we learn throughout our lives, as we become more like your son as we even study our Bibles and find out new things and become convicted, God, help us to always keep in mind that the main thing is to follow and live like your son. Help us to be a people whose lips are always proclaiming Jesus. Help us to be a people who are only focused on Jesus. 
And however your spirit moves us and wherever your spirit guides us, help people to look at us and say, you know, I don't know much about them, but they love like Jesus does. It's in your son's holy name we pray.